Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Hey, if you desire to be married, that's fine. But but don't think that you got to be married to be fulfilled or to be happy. In fact, the scripture says that the married man has to care for the things of his wife, and rightly so. You got kids, you got to put them before yourself too. So, so it's the Lord and it's your wife and it's your kids. If you're single, it's just you and the Lord, you see. And you're in a unique position to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And not have to worry about how that's going to impact the family. In part two of From the Beginning, Pastor Sam looks in-depth at Jesus' teachings on divorce, celibacy, and how the Lord sees the role of children in the church. We're in the first 15 verses of Matthew chapter 19, so let's dig in. Had they known the word and believed it, well, Deuteronomy chapter 22 and Deuteronomy chapter 24 made it very clear that God created marriage to be a permanent relationship. That was his intention. That was his plan. That was what he was wanting and desiring. And so when they come with the question, hey, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? The conservatives, of course, would just go to the law and they'd say, hey, the law says if, if a woman and a man commit sexual immorality outside of marriage, they were to both be brought in stone. That's why those Guys could bring that gal to Jesus. Now, we don't know where the guy was in that particular situation, but they were citing a law. And uh, so the legalists, the, the conservatives, they'd say, well, the law says stoning, capital punishment for sexual immorality, capital punishment for adultery. Now, the just any reason question came up because there were lots of people who took Deuteronomy 24 where it says if a man finds an uncleanness in his wife and they didn't want to interpret that word literally, which meant sexually unclean, they said, well, uncleanness could be just about anything. I mean, she burnt the bread. That's sufficient for me. And so that really is, though we would chuckle, that's the kind of things they were saying. Hey, she's displeasing to me. I'm no longer satisfied by her. I'm no longer happy with her. And so I don't want to be married anymore to her. You know, if you're not yet married and contemplating it, or if you're a young married, you may not have come across the fact that you have something that is very common today. It's called irreconcilable differences. It is the most commonly cited grounds for divorce here in the 21st century, as it was in the 20th. Lots of other things. Immorality still is high on the list. Financial problems, other stresses. But, but irreconcilable differences... Man, you wouldn't believe how many people use that as the reason for getting divorced. And I want to tell you, if you don't know, all couples do now and will always have irreconcilable differences. And here's the thing. We learn to disagree in an agreeable way. To say, look, I see it this way. You see it that way. If there's a biblical solution, we're going to both adjust our thinking to what the Lord has to say. But sometimes it's just personal preference. I like things this way. She likes things that way. Started getting ready for that whole marriage thing, planning it out ahead of time. But, but, but the deal is, if it's just personal preference, then we learn, though, we may not always agree. We want to be agreeable. We want to cut each other some slack. We want to love each other. But that's what people pledge to do when they stand before a pastor or a, or a judge or someone and says, I'm going to live with and love and bless and honor and care for and nurture and respect and... Well, divorce then doesn't really fit into that scenario. So they say, is it lawful? That's the question. For a man to divorce his wife for just any reason. Now, 
Jesus' response answers their question, and uh, if you believe him, it deals with some other core issues we're wrestling with today. Now, I don't mean necessarily you and I, but lots of people in our society, but potentially some of you today. And so he says, first of all, and we'll deal with all of these as they come up, have you not read? I have that squared off, circled, because, well, that's the solution, you see. If you know what the word says, you know the answer to the question. What does the word say? Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now, he's only partway through his answer, and he's already dealt with two major conflicts that are, are brewing and stewing in our generation. The first is the whole thing between creation and evolution. Many say, well, we look at the evidence and it appears we evolved. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he says, haven't you read? He who made them in the beginning. See, that should settle that debate forever. If you're a believer in Jesus and a believer in the Bible, the Bible says God created us. So evolution, listen, no matter how intelligent the person may be presenting the arguments, no matter how well studied they may be, no matter how many letters they have behind their name, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so worldly wisdom says we've evolved. God's wisdom says created by him and for him. So that debate should be put to rest. And then it says he made them male and female. This deals with, well, a major issue, and it will be politically this next big election, and that is same-sex marriage. Now, if you read your Bible and you understand it and you believe it, he made them from the beginning, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And from the beginning, he made it clear. A man is to leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And the idea of same-sex marriage, listen, if you're not completely sure, you just got to read Romans 1. That's your homework for the day. Make a mental note or mark it right now. Put your bulletin in it. You read it later because he makes it clear that, that there is a decline from ignoring the fact that there is a God, putting him out of your mind to what happens both spiritually and physically. Idolatry spiritually, immorality physically, and homosexuality, lesbianism and such, it is a bottom rung of that letter. It is a, a, the road to absolute ruin and depravity. And, and so God is saying, our Lord is saying, from the beginning, he made them creation. And he made them male and female. And his intention, of, he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That's the third thing. Check this out. He says this before there were any mothers and fathers to leave. He's speaking to Adam and Eve. And they're probably looking around thinking, mother and father, what's he talking about? They didn't have kids yet. They weren't parents. And they were created by God. So he says, here's how it's going to work. A man's going to leave his father and mother. He's going to cleave to his wife. And they're thinking, well, could you explain this a little further? Down the road, they'd get it. See, they'd have some kids, they'd grow up, they'd become teenagers, and they'd say, it's time to look for a wife. Go and find a wife. So in any case, the two, we're told, become one flesh. Now, this is a physical reality. Some have, you know, made it simply sexual, although there is that aspect, there is that reality. God 
among the many other reasons for marriage, has made marriage that place where he blesses the family, the building block of society. And it's his desire that we raise a godly seed, we're told. So we become one in the physical sexual relationship that then produces an offspring. And if you check out the kids, if things have gone well, they have all of the things that you love about her the most and all the things she loves about you the most, both in looks and character and all that. And if it's not exactly working out that way, well, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes he's got all the things about you that, well, not, well, you know. But people usually can look at our kids and, and they can say, hey, I can see your dad in you. I can see your mom in you. Why? Because we have become one flesh. And in a very real way, we see that borne out in our children. Half of our DNA and half of, of, you know, my DNA, my wife's DNA. And now you have these kids, they have their own DNA, but they are a part of the two. They are the result of the two becoming one flesh. It's not just physical and sexual, though. It is mystical and spiritual. Jesus uses the marriage relationship, not just as the building block of society, but as a picture of what it is for Jesus to, to take his church and love and bless and, and protect and provide. He says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He uses that model to say, here's how a husband should love his wife. And he uses the husband and wife relationship to say, this is what it's like between Jesus and the church. So for this reason, a man shall leave and cleave. That speaks of the permanence of the marriage relationship. The parameters, male and female. The plan, leave and cleave. The two become one flesh permanence. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, verse 6, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now get this. They're saying, is it lawful to divorce for any reason? And here's his, here's what the scripture says. Therefore, his conclusion, what God has joined together, let not man separate. People call us regularly wanting to get married in our church. We often ask, have you been here? And uh, Because, I mean, if you go here, that's fine. You want to get married here? We love that. But a lot of people want a church wedding. And what they want is they want the church feeling and the church setting, you see. And what we ask is, well, are you interested in a church wedding or a Christian wedding? And there's a vast difference, you see. A church wedding is just a wedding that takes place in a church. A Christian wedding is one where Jesus is at the throne of each life. And they're saying, no longer me living just for myself and the Lord. Now I'm going to live for you and the Lord. I'm going to love you and care for you and nurture you and bless you and protect you and honor you and cherish you. And that's the kind of things people pledge. Well, of course, Jesus is saying that being the case, having asked the Lord's blessing upon the relationship, having pledged to live in that relationship, he says, hey, don't let man tear it apart. Then they ask yet another question. Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? He said to them, and we'll come back, but I want you to see, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted. They see, why did he command? Jesus says he didn't command. It was a concession. He permitted and there's a vast difference, you see. He is going to give actual grounds for divorce biblically before we conclude this study. And he'll make that sexual immorality. Jesus was of the conservative opinion, the biblical opinion of his day. But, but he's saying, listen, that was never God's intention. Not, not divorce, not immorality, not the idolatry that often accompanies it, not all the devastation that follows it. But, but he's saying, they're saying, well, well, then why did he command to give a certificate of divorce? Well, it's simple. Deuteronomy chapter 22 makes it clear that 
immorality in the marriage relationship was punishable by death. It was a capital crime. God so cherished and set apart this marriage relationship that he says if there's sex outside of it, that person should be put to death. Those people put to death. And, and so if a man simply divorced his wife, said, I'm not pleased with you, I'm sick of you, I don't want you anymore, which men were doing in that day as they continue to today. Well, when that happened, if there was no certificate of divorce, the certificate would have spelled out the reason for the divorce. I'm not happy with her. I don't love her. We're not in love anymore. All the things that people say and said. But, but you see, if the reason for the divorce was adultery, it was punishable by death. So the certificate of divorce was to protect her physically, first of all, from being stoned as an adulteress. The second thing it was do, to do was to protect her reputation because if he just let her go and say that people say, well, we don't want to kill her. She's nice. You know, we like her. She's been in the community. Well, then, then they still whisper about her and think ill of her. And so the certificate of divorce was given because, well, as Jesus says, men's hearts were hard enough and are that they say, I don't care what happens to her. I just don't want to be with her. And so he commanded there be a certificate of divorce, but he permitted her to be put away. That word put away means to be divorced. It's interesting. We looked last time about the importance of dealing with the offended brother and forgiving and being forgiven and all that. It's interesting to note that the word divorce and the word forgive, well, they're very similar words. And here's why. To forgive means to put away the sin or to put away the debt. To divorce means to put away your spouse. And so he's saying, yeah, it was permitted, yes, but it was never plan A. It was never God's intention. It was never where he was going from the beginning. Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits Adultery. Now, some would make less of this than our Lord does. Others would try to make more of it. Jesus is saying these are the grounds biblically for divorce. But you need to know if you weren't here for our last study, all sin can and should be forgiven. Even adultery is a forgivable sin when it's cleansed in the blood of the cross. Now, I wouldn't want anyone to misunderstand and think, so if I, you know, go beyond this fantasy world of the internet or I get beyond the movies or I actually commit the act, I can go to my wife and ask forgiveness. Oh yeah, you can go and ask forgiveness. That doesn't mean she's going to give you forgiveness. And you can come to me and say, Pastor, doesn't the Bible say she's supposed to forgive me? Listen, when you commit adultery against your spouse, you sever the covenant you made with her or him if it's going the opposite direction. You sever the connection. Spiritually, you sever the commitment. That doesn't mean there can't be forgiveness. There can't be, you know, starting fresh, trying to get past it. But I want to tell you, people who get involved in this kind of stuff, they're just, just devastating themselves, devastating their families, devastating their kids. Because the statistics for people who recover from such a sin, man, they are just horrific. And so my counsel to you as someone who cares for you and loves you, wants to see you flourish in the Lord, is, is if you're contemplating 
anything in the realm of immorality, repent of it today. If you're toying with the idea of divorce, repent of that today. If you've already suffered through those things and you're trying to get things right, well, listen, God can cleanse and forgive any confessed sin, and he wants to today. But know this, there will always be consequence of sin. In a sin like this, he says, sexual immorality is unique in that it defiles the whole person. Well, Jesus says then, there are grounds and there are times. Paul will later add um, desertion to this, lest a woman with her children, deserted by her husband, has to live without someone to care for her and for them. But, but Jesus says, except for sexual immorality. That's his take. Well, the disciples' response to this is interesting. If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Now, I want to speak to the singles here for just a moment, and here's why. It is common among single people to imagine most people here are married. And not only are they married, they're happily married. And they're so ecstatically happily married that if I could just be one of them, then I would be happily, ecstatically happily married. Now, I don't want to burn anybody that's married. And I want to tell you, I've been married to Pam for 29 years. We're headed into 30. And I love her with all my heart. And I wouldn't want to live without her at all. And I love the marriage relationship and everything that's a part of it. But it's not true that married is better than single. Jesus says no. Paul says no. In fact, Jesus, hey, he never married. He never got involved and he didn't raise kids. There's reasons for that. We'll talk about them in a moment. But, but you need to know if you're single, you should just be happy and satisfied and just serve the Lord. And if the Lord has someone for you or you really want to be married, well, there's no sin in that. That's what Paul teaches us as you read through his letters that, that hey, if you desire to be married, that's fine. But, but don't think that you've got to be married to be fulfilled or to be happy. In fact, the scripture says that the married man has to care for the things of his wife and rightly so. You got kids, you got to put them before yourself too. So, so it's the Lord and it's your wife and it's your kids. If you're single, it's just you and the Lord, you see. And you're in a unique position to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And not have to worry about how that's going to impact the family. No, I'm not ragging on marriage. I'm just telling you, don't buy into the idea. Don't let the enemy tell you or society tell you that you're not going to be fully fulfilled unless or until you're married. I know that from the beginning, since we've entitled the message that, it was, you know, fill the earth and, you know, marry and fill the earth. Well, we're, we're, we're accomplishing that goal. Some families here, are, you know, they're adding, con, you know, consistently and, and uh, faithfully to that goal. But, but it's okay is what I'm trying to say to be single. And if you're single and you want to be married, I would really encourage this. Don't be thinking, is he the one or is he the one or is he the one? You gals, right? Or, or the guys like, is she the one or is she the one? I hear that a lot. Here's what you want to focus on. You want to focus on becoming the one that will be the right spouse for that person you're looking for. Because the, the problem isn't that there aren't others looking for someone to lay down their lives for and live their lives for. It's that you need to become the right person for them. You need to grow in Christ and become someone that's, well, content in who you are and what Jesus is doing in and through you. And then if the two come together, well, even better. But, but don't... Buy into the idea that, man, you've got to be married to be happy. It's just not true. If you're not married and you're not happy, I'm telling you, getting married probably won't be the cure. If you have problems with lust and you're like, if I just had my own wife, I wouldn't have that problem. Let me tell you, that is not the cure. Because lust is a heart problem. It's not a single or married problem. Lots of married men with problems with lust, tragically. 
So, so again, Jesus, as he deals with this issue, says, well, all can't accept this saying, but only to those whom it has been given. Now, he begins to talk about eunuchs. And, and eunuchs, well, the whole, the whole deal with them, they, they came out of the days with harems. They were men that were... Um, castrated so they could watch over the harem and the the, uh, king wouldn't have to worry about him messing with his harem. And so he talks about three kinds of eunuchs here. Um, Two physical, no doubt. The third, I believe, not so at all. He says there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. He'd be talking about somebody who was unable to produce children because they, well, they just weren't born with all the equipment. And then he talks, secondly, about the eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. That would be those who were castrated, set in that situation because, well, they were watching over a harem or they were in some position where that's what their master decided. Then he says there are eunuchs who have been made made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And he who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Now here he's not talking about someone who's not physically capable of marrying and having a sexual relationship, but has decided to stay celibate, has decided to live spiritually and not focus so much on the physical. Jesus, by the way, and I think I already mentioned it, that was the decision he made. He could have married, he could have produced children, but he didn't come to produce children physically. He came to produce children spiritually and eternally. And he knew that the cross was just ahead. And had he married, and people married young in those days, he could have been married for 10 or 12 years before the cross. But his wife would have stood at the foot of the cross and suffered along with his mother and others who loved him and were devastated by his death. His children would have had to suffer through that too. Jesus chose to stay single. That's all I'm saying. He chose it. And that's what he's saying. There are some who choose singleness. Know this though. If you choose singleness, you choose celibacy. And if you can't handle the celibacy, well, then you're not going to stay single. You better find somebody willing to marry you. Or you're going to be in that realm of sexual immorality. And again, that sin devastates completely. Well, then we read, little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. I find it interesting that, well, and this is where we conclude today. We start with the healing and then we see Jesus teaching on marriage and and then they bring little children. Those are the ones who are most often devastated by divorce. The innocent, the truly, completely and totally innocent victims in divorce. So they bring the kids and the disciples rebuke them. Hey, Jesus is busy. Get those kids out of here. He doesn't have time for that right now. And Jesus rebukes the disciples. And I like that a lot. He says, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and he departed from there. They brought their children. People brought children that he might put his hands on them and pray. And you got to know, Jesus calls the children to him. He's been doing it from the beginning. We talked a couple weeks ago about what's going on in our yes team here. I, I mentioned, I think there were 80 kids. Pam said, no, there are 87. I said they were from like second grade or third grade up to like sixth grade. She said, no, it's fourth grade through 10th grade. So just talk to Pam. I don't know. But all I know is we got 87 kids serving the Lord. And, and the reason I share that with you is this. Children are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church today. Teens are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church today. A child can come to the Lord, be born again, be gifted by him, anointed and empowered 
and then serve him in the fullness of all that and be very effective and fruitful in the ministry. And I want to encourage you that our ministry is to equip you for the work of ministry and our ministry to the children, equip the children for the work of ministry and that our work will never be complete until every one of us has found a way to take what we've learned and take what God's doing in us and, and reproducing it into the lives of others. That's what the ministry is really about. So the children were brought to him. Jesus rebukes the disciples who had rebuked them. And then he lays his hands on, no doubt praying as the parents or the friends or the families were requesting. And then he said, don't forbid him for such is the kingdom of heaven. A very common problem faced by not only high school age pastors, but the parents of high school age kids as well, is how many of those kids seem to disengage from the church and their walk with the Lord upon graduation from high school. But I have noticed something very encouraging in my years of working in this particular ministry. The more engaged in differing ministries within the church the child is, the higher the likelihood that that transition from high school ministry into the functioning body of Christ will be a seamless one. We need to remember that the body of Christ is not only made up of adults. Kids are a very big part of that as well. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.